Let us pray. Lord, now we ask that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today we're moving into the fourth part of a six-part message series on leadership. And I'll just start by admitting a few things to you, and one of them is for some reason, known only to God, He has continually placed me in positions of leadership throughout my life. Starting way back, being the principal of an elementary school, to serving as an athletic director for a couple of high schools, to head basketball coach, to being head pastor, literally right out of the seminary, uh, be the pastor, head pastor of a church of nearly 1,800 members, and to be president of conferences and boards. And now, for some strange reason, he's dangling in front of me the position of president of Christ for India's uh, Rock, uh, Christ for India's Church on the Rock Seminary in Vishakhapatnam, India. But I also have to admit something to you, even though I don't always know why God sees fit to put me or want to put me in leadership positions, when it comes to leadership greatness, I have yet to arrive. Like all of you, I am merely a work in progress. And as a result, this current series was kind of hard to write in a way for me. It was also a challenge to me, because it's always a challenge to learn how to serve others more enthusiastically. It's always a challenge to build up others more effectively. It's always a challenge to put yourself in a position where you're accountable to yourself and accountable to the Word and accountable to spiritual leaders and to always make better decisions. But I'm going to repeat something we've said every week, and that is this, that every last one of you, all the way from Heidi, all the way to the back, God has called all of us to some form of leadership in some area. It might be in school, it might be in a classroom, it might be a part of a team. It may be as parents, it may be in the business that you work, uh, or it may be in your ministry that you find through church. And you can be sure that God has called each and every one of you, and that he is challenging each and every one of you to rise up and be the kind of leader that God wants you to be. When I taught at Valley Lutheran High School and served as athletic director there, we had some big pillars outside the church, outside the school, and it said, bloom where you are planted. And that's what God calls all of us to do. Bloom wherever we are planted in terms of leadership. But you know one of the hardest things about being a leader? Again, I don't care whether you're a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa, or whether you're a pastor or whether you're a retired or you're a small business owner or, or whatever. One of the hardest things about being a leader is what we're going to talk about today And that is that the leader is decisive. Now, we're not going to say the leader should be or the leader might be. We're going to say the leader is decisive. And this is where leadership goes from theory to practice. And this is where leaders really kind of prove their mettle. Now, I've been in the ministry for about 48 years and about 28 or so of those years as a pastor. And one of the things that I have discovered in this time is that when you're casting vision, when you're talking about what we could do and what the future might look like, hardly anyone will criticize you. Now, they might laugh behind your back or call you a dreamer or say that you don't have what it takes, 
but you don't encounter a great deal of hostility in the vision casting stage. People usually do not leave a church because the pastor or its leadership has a great vision. But, and remember there always is a but, when you start making decisions based on that vision, watch out. You're bound to step on somebody's toes. You're bound to upset a few people. And that's why making decisions is often a very lonely experience. Many times you find yourself in a position, whether you're a mom or dad or whether you're a business owner or whatever, in a decision-making situation, which is guaranteed that in that decision you make, it's going to make somebody mad or at least disappoint a few people. That's why it is an awesome responsibility as Christ followers where God plants us to be in the decision-making position because your decisions have the opportunity to affect and impact future generations, indeed to impact specific people in your life. They can determine the future of your company. They can determine the future of your family. They can determine the future of this church. It can determine your own future. So you need to get your decisions right. So today I'm going to walk through what God's Word has to say about some things that we ought to think about in every decision of life. I'm going to share five of them with you. And I would tell you that these are so practical that you could use these for anything, whether it be buying a car or getting married or starting a business or moving to the other side of the world or decisions in what ministry God would like to plant you next. Now, I'm going to be honest with you that uh, I, what I'm sharing with you today, I published in my first book a few years ago. It was called Leadership Lessons from Nehemiah. But I go back to this book periodically, particularly when I find myself struggling with a decision. So the question is, what would God want us to do if we are struggling with a decision? Here's the very first thing I want to tell you. Decision makers need to ask the right questions. We need to ask the right questions. In Proverbs 18.3, it says, He who answers before listening, that is his folly and shame. Now, I know some people who say, you know, don't tell me anything. My mind is already made up. Well, they're kind of like cement, all stirred up and set. Now, in other words, what Proverbs is telling us is that before you decide anything, ask yourself a few questions. What do I need to know? Have I taken a second look? Am I rushing into this uninformed. I also got to tell you that there are a lot of people who will sometimes pressure you to make a decision quickly. You know why? Because it benefits them. Oh, I could tell you story after story about people who come up to me and say, Pastor, you ought to do this. Well, when I say why, well, they don't really have a great reason, but generally it's because it will help them out a little bit. But if it's your decision to make, you're the one that has to live with that decision. So don't be afraid to just take time to ask biblical, godly, necessary questions. Ask the right questions. Here's the second thing. You need to ask the right questions of the right people. Now, I talked a little bit about this last week. Do you have biblical, godly people in your life? Are these the people that you're turning to? I mean, that's what God wants you to do. If you're going to be 
in the world but not of the world, what do you need to surround yourself with? People of the Word and people who are godly people who will turn you back to God's Word. Now, again, the book of Proverbs is just loaded with all kinds of good advice. Proverbs 15:22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Or 12:15. The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. Or one more, Proverbs 19:20. Listen to the advice and accept instruction, and in the end you will be wise. Now, Proverbs is a great book for you to read anytime. The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. Proverbs teaches us that there is wisdom in the counsel of many. But guess what? You need to be reminded of something. That doesn't mean that the many will always give you the same advice. I mean, I can guarantee that if you get together five people and ask their opinion, uh, you might actually get five different suggestions. I mean, I've actually gotten together five very godly biblical people before and asked them, what do you think about this? And I've gotten five really good answers. But in the advice you receive, as varied as it will be, you're going to kind of uncover the wisdom that you need, you need to make the very best decision. So whenever you find yourself making a decision or, or having to make one, make a short list of godly people. You know, I, I would think if you had two, three, four, maybe not a whole lot more than that, good, godly, biblical people who you really trust, you ought to have that list. You ought to have them on speed dial. And whenever you've got a tough decision to make, people who you admire and respect, give them the opportunity to share their perspective. So you ask the right questions, but you ask the right people. Here's the third thing. Decision makers need to put as much distance as possible between their, their decision and their emotions. Maybe you've heard before, somebody said, you, you never want to make a decision when you're mad. You never want to make a decision, probably, when you're really happy, too. Sometimes your emotions get in the way. Emotions make, make decisions really difficult to make sometimes. I don't know how many weddings I've done in 28 years, quite a few. I did one uh, a couple of weeks ago up in Illinois. Uh, I know I'm going to do at least one more here. Uh, sometime in, let's see, November, and God willing, next June, I'm going to uh, get to do the wedding of our grandson Joshua and his fiancée, Christina, who all, by the way, will be in church in two weeks uh, to say goodbye to you guys as well. Um, but oftentimes I've had couples in my office who are ready to get married, and guess what? They were more in lust with each other than they were in love with each other. You almost wanted to get a hose out and hose them down. They were on fire, but not for the Lord. <laughs> and what they were doing, it's kind of like was it, the old Johnny Cash song, we got married in a fever hotter than a pepper sprout. Well, okay, sometimes your emotions are like a runaway train. I mean, good decision makers make their decisions based on what? Predetermined godly biblical values. That's how you do it rather than a rush of emotion. Uh, King David in Psalm 119 says, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set my heart on your laws. In other words, he had biblical values, godly values in place before he let his emotions run wild with him. I think the one time his emotions ran wild with him, what happened? 
Bathsheba. That's what happened. You know, he took his eyes off the Creator and put them on the creation. There's an old Christian song that says, when he saw that Bathsheba fox, he was smitten down unto his socks. His emotions got the best of him. See, as much as possible, we need to decide up front what values are going to make our decision long before the emotions get in the way. And that's why, again, I say, why I often tell single people, before you ever start dating anyone, decide in advance the qualities that you expect in a mate and choose your relations based on that. I remember saying to a church a number of years ago, uh, not that I want to do this again, but I would never date someone that I could not pray with. And after church, I remember being besieged by a bunch of middle school, junior high school, high school kids. It's like, did we hear what you said? I said, I don't know, what did I say? I said a lot of stuff this morning. You said you, would never, you should never date anybody with whom you could not pray. I said, that's what I said. And one girl said to me, boy, that would thin the herd. And you know what? It should. It should. Don't make decisions on emotions. Godly, biblical values. Determine in advance what you know is right. Decide now before your hot-blooded fever takes over. Here's number four. Decision makers need to be willing to pull the trigger. In other words, you know, sooner or later you've got to say, we've got to do it, we're going to do it now. Uh, some of you may recognize this guy up here, T. Boone Pickens. Uh, other than the fact, Jimmy, that he puts a lot of money into uh, Oklahoma State football, uh, probably not a bad guy. Uh, but he said, be willing to make decisions. That's the most important quality in, in a good leader. Don't fall victim to what I call the ready, aim, 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 aim syndrome. You've got to be willing to fire. Now, I know in James 1.8, it talks about a double-minded man. So don't be like a double-minded man. He's unstable in all of his ways. Uh, he's just undecisive. Kind of reminds me of a story about Ronald Reagan. I don't know if I have a picture of uh, one of my favorite presidents there, Ronald Reagan. But he, he told the story one time about the consequences of indecision. Uh, he said that when he was young, uh, growing up in Eureka, Illinois, uh, that his aunt um, took him to have a pair of shoes made. And when he got there, the shoemaker asked, do you want square toes or round toes on your shoes? And Reagan just kind of, well, he didn't really know, kind of hemmed and hawed around a little bit. And finally said, uh, um, I don't know. And so the shoemaker said, well, come back in a couple of days and let me know what you want. Well, a couple of days later, he's walking down the street. And here comes the shoemaker. And he says to Reagan, have you made up your mind yet? And Reagan said, no, I still haven't made up my mind. No problem, says the shoemaker. Uh, your shoes will be ready tomorrow. And when Reagan went to pick up his shoes, he was shocked to see that one shoe had a square toe and the other one a round toe. Well, Reagan said, looking at those shoes every day taught me a lesson. If you don't make your own decisions, somebody else will make them for you. And guess what? You can be sure if you allow other people to make your decisions for you, 
they'll be making a decision that most that is most convenient for who? For them and not for you. I mean, every decision maker, moms, dads, church leaders, whoever you are, you reach a point where you're going to say, let's do it. And guess what? When you finally pull the trigger, it's pretty scary sometimes. Because it's at that point that you risk failure. All the pre-planning, all the data compiling, the research, the preparation, in all of that, guess what? There's no risk of failure in all of that. But when you pull the trigger, you either hit the target or you miss it. That's a risk every decision maker must be willing to take. I'm going to take you back five and a half years ago to a decision that Nancy and I made. We were feeling rather comfortable in the ministry where we were at. Big church, big new building, lots of people, making a decent salary. They just built a brand new house. And then all of a sudden, First Lutheran decided it might be good for some people to move to East Texas. Well, in the midst of that, we were feeling maybe that God wanted us to have a challenge in life. Maybe we were too comfortable where we were. And so we came down here on the train right after Christmas. And, you know, somewhere on the train between Texarkana back to Bloomington, Illinois, we decided that this was a challenge that God wanted us to take. We talked about it, as I remember. I think we did, didn't we? Yeah, okay, shake your head. Yes, please. <laughs> and we decided we'd pull the trigger. Now, did, did we have any second guesses about it? I'll get to that in a minute. But sooner or later, you're going to have to say yes. So you don't want to be guilty of ready, fire, aim any more than you want to be guilty of ready, aim, 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 aim. When you've asked the right questions, when you've asked the right people based on the right biblical godly standards, don't be afraid to pull the trigger. Here's number five. Decision makers need to stay the course. Now, there's an almost certain chance that every big decision you will ever make in life, you will have the opportunity to second-guess yourself. I've said this any number of times lately. You know, hindsight, or the best sight is hindsight. Well, for some people, hindsight is a way of life. Now, you're going to have the opportunity, I know, if you make a big decision to second-guess yourself. You're going to ask yourself, did I do the right thing? Uh, did I take the right job? Did we buy the right house? Did we buy a house too soon? I mean, if God would have told us something about going to India to be president of a seminary, for heaven's sakes, maybe we wouldn't have done that either. Should we have moved so close to our kids? Maybe they should just learn to get on without us around them. You know, did I take the right job? Did I marry the right person? I mean, if you question yourself that much, guess what? It will affect how committed you are to whatever decision you make. It's always kind of like having one foot out the door. That's why I often tell people that living together before marriage, what does it do? It cements and settles a lack of commitment. That's why people who live together prior to marriage divorce at a higher rate than other people. 
I mean, because any time as you're living together before marriage, what can you do? You can bail out because there is no commitment. Now, sometimes you have a, you have a deciding that isn't really a deciding. Did you know that? You say, well, yeah, we're going to move in this direction. And then you just continue to vacillate and you continue to hem and haw and you kind of come up with this excuse and that excuse. And you only give yourself maybe halfway to that effort just in case you're wrong. But once a decision is made, again, following what I said before, godly people, godly decisions, biblical values, right questions, right, you know, whatever, decision makers need to go for it. Give 100% to your decision. Now, i got to tell you something, friends. When you make a decision, no matter how big it is in life, no matter how small it is in life, you only have one option. You know what that one option is? Follow through. And when the decision proves itself to be a bad decision, you only have one option. Correct it as quickly as possible. The option that does not exist, however, in either situation is to waste valuable time second-guessing your decision. A couple of weeks ago when I was in Illinois, I preached on Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, one of my favorite Bible passages. I say that so often that people go, well, I think your whole, the whole Bible is your favorite. Well, it is. But there are some that kind of stand out. But Philippians 3, 13, I think a song that Eric is going to sing when he's here in a couple of weeks is called Don't Look Back, Keep Pressing On. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on towards the goal. Now, the passage says press on to the goal that's heavenward in Jesus Christ. But we also press on. See, decision makers, you know, are they going to second-guess themselves? Sure, from time to time. But if they have to correct a wrong decision, what do they do? They correct it. But once a decision is made, they often just really go for it Give everything they have. Now, what do we need to remember then, making a decision? Right questions, right people, based on biblical, godly priorities, not emotions. Have I pulled the trigger and have I stayed committed? Guess what? I left out number six. There's a sixth thing that is so simple and so obvious that I didn't even put it on your outline, I think. And that's because I figured you guys all, you all knew this. And you may have been sitting here, when's he going to get to this one? Because this seems a whole lot more important than the other stuff he talked about. But I saved it to last because it is the most important. And that is this, a decision maker prays about every decision to be made. I don't know what that decision would be, but you're going to, you, make, you pray about it. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, what? Let him ask. And God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Have you ever wondered sometimes, like, I don't know what to do. I need a little wisdom on this. Pray. Pray for it. See, as you approach a decision in life, whether it be a decision like Nancy and I to say, it's time to move on. It's time to reposition ourselves in other forms of ministry whether it is to get married or whether it is to date somebody or not date somebody or to be baptized or not be baptized or to start a business or not start a business or, you know, to resize your company or downsize your company or, uh, or whatever. Whenever you come to whatever decision it may be, take it to the Lord in prayer. Because what he'll do is he will 
help you do all of these other five things. He will help you ask the right questions. He will help guide you to the right people, godly people, biblical people. He will draw you into His Word where the answers are. He will help you define the right values. He will help you set up the right priorities. And then He will give you the courage to commit and the strength to do it. And guess what? I've discovered this one. And whenever you make a really dumb decision, we've all done that, haven't we? He will give you the strength and the help to get back on track and make another one. Dumb decision. <laughs> no, he'll help you make the right decision. Now, i got to tell you, decision-making is not an easy process. It's not the way to become very popular. I think I've learned that in 48 years. Every decision I've ever made, even the best ones, have not always been popular. But you know, the decisions that affect your life are far too important to leave in the hands of somebody else. I mean, God is challenging all of us to make decisions strong and sure as you rise to the challenge of being a godly leader or a godly parent, a godly business owner, godly grandparents, whatever. Now, I'm going to end with something else that's not on your outline. And I'm going to ask you this question. What is the best decision ever made? What is the best decision ever made? And I didn't ask what's the best decision you ever made. Because some of you would say, well, it was getting married or, you know, starting this job. But what is the best decision ever made? Now, you may want to argue with me, but I'm going to give you what I think are the top two best decisions made. Here's the number one best decision ever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the best decision ever. I mean, God who could look at us in all of our broken decisions and all of our lack of godliness and lack of biblical values and everything else would still love us enough to make a decision to send his one and only son into this world to suffer and die for us. I can't think of a better decision I think there's one that comes in number two. Some of you might actually be able to guess what that might be. But I think once God decided he's going to send his son into this world, he was going to make sure that we did it right. You know this passage too. For by grace you've been saved through faith. He knew the temptation to think that if we just did it right, we could be, we could be in. But he said, no, it's by grace through faith that you've been saved. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that someone may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He made the decision, greatest decision ever, to send his son. And that other decision he made is that it was going to be by grace through faith and not works. Could there possibly be another decision that would be pretty good? Oh, probably. I'm going to give you the one I thought about. You find it in Acts chapter 16, verses 29 to 31. The jailer called for lights and rushed in. 
Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. God's decision to send His Son. God's decision that it would be by grace through faith. And then He says, all you really need to do is believe. I hope and pray that you've made that decision. That you've stepped across the line and said, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. But then, I'm going to pray even more that after you've made that decision, that you actually act like it. That you change who you are and be a better reflection of who it is that Christ made you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.